Sporty. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Big Travel Podcast. I'm Lisa Francesca Nand. Thank you so much to all of you for your continued support and also welcome to any new listeners. This week we've hit the number one spot on iTunes UK Places and Travel for the first time. We've been at number two plenty of times, but I'm so glad to have made the number one slot. We've had recent mentions on the Evening Standard, on BBC Radio 5 Live, on Talk Radio and in the Great British Podcasts newsletter and even on Sky News. So I'm sure that's helped. And thank you so much. For any new listeners to the podcast, I aim to speak to fascinating folk about their travels every week. And there are 68 episodes to catch up on with many famous names, adventurers, explorers, authors, journalists, politicians, comedians, philanthropists, and much more. So have a listen to the back catalogue if you wish. Today's guest is coming up right now. And if you're into music or festivals, you're in for a complete treat. Festival promoter, DJ and record label boss Rob DeBank started in music as a journalist reviewing the biggest bands, super clubs and DJs all over the UK. He's had his own show on BBC Radio 1 and is the co-founder of two of the UK's biggest festivals, Festival and Camp Festival. He's a massive fan of travel, whether touring Europe in a yellow camper van called Stella, taking his four kids on sabbatical to Bali or DJing at some of the best parties all over the world. With his own very successful podcast too, the A to Z of festivals, it's Rob Tabank. I know you've travelled a huge amount through uh, your work, but also for fun. But I wanted to take you back to your first childhood holidays, because they sound very much like mine, that you went off in the 70s and 80s in a camper van, in a Bedford van, I think you said, which we had as well, to the south of France. Is, is that a good place to start? Crikey, that's quite terrifying that you know that much about my life. Oh, I've done no <laughs> Yes, no, that is that is true. Yeah, I mean, I, I well, I was born in '73, so by the late '70s, we were sort of going on family holidays with my brother and sister in my dad's beaten up blue Bedford camper van. Which, you know, if people saw it now, or anyone under the age of thirty saw it now, they'd be like, "That you can't drive that to the south of France. It's impossible." And you know you just don't see old old things like that on the road now. But 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 then yeah, it was a it was a vehicle of choice. It was it was luxury. So yeah, I, I slept across the front seats on a on a wooden plank, which sounds a bit medieval. But um, yeah, there were two kind of roll out bunks for my brother and sister, and then my mum and dad were on the sort of double bed bit sofa, and then. Yeah, so I slept with the kind of gear stick between my not between my legs. That sounds a bit wrong, but um, sort of I was. Yeah, the gear stick was there, and I was lying on this plank across the front seat. But yeah, we we toured up and down France in that. We ended up at the Berlin Wall. I remember probably a little bit later when I was fourteen, fifteen. I just found a photo of me walking through the Berlin Wall, which was being in the in the midst of being knocked down. Literally after that, had just fallen. So, my dad's still got that van now. So, has he still got the same van? He has. My dad is a bit of a hoarder. I'm sure he won't mind me saying. Does it, it still go? Yeah, yeah. He still drives around in it. So, what year is the van? Oh, well, pre pre seventy 
76 i don't know that's yeah. amazing i can't believe it's still roadworthy it's probably not roadworthy is it oh no totally my dad you know he's the sort of person that will buy something 100 years ago and keep it keep it running so yeah it'll definitely be roadworthy did that foster your love of camping do you think uh, if you do maybe have a love, a love, camping, love, hate, love yeah. hate of camping my, i mean my dad had this <laughs> this um version of of things that he um <laughs> we drive into a campsite in France late at night so that the Guardian guy, you know, the the sort of campsite warden had, had gone home and then in the morning he'd make me lift up the barrier and sneak out before he had to pay. So it's like Yeah, we'd go around campsites doing that to um to, to save money. But yeah, I mean it definitely made me not scared of sleeping, you know, in the grey outdoors. Yeah, they sometimes used to put up a kind of awning or a, or a tent next door, and some of the kids would sleep in that. Yeah, I'm, I love I love camping. I do absolutely love camping, and any opportunity I'm out there with the kids. Yeah, you made that your your life and work in a way with festivals. But do you not sort of like now that you know you're sort of in the the successful realm of festivals? Do you still like? camp in a van or a tent or do you have like a luxury teepee or something like that yeah it, it sort of differs really each year sometimes we um we've got a bell tent our own bell tent that we sleep in with the kids i've got my 1970s vw trademark stereotypical hippie van bright yellow called stella and you know everyone loves that we do sometimes sleep in an rv you know like in a, in a big sort of motor home you know we had an, another baby a couple of years ago so Josie literally turned up on site six days after he'd been born, having had an emergency cesarean like six days previous, and we were there with the, with the baby. Um, so that year we did, yeah, we slept in a in a slightly bigger RV. Yeah, so sometimes you know you're there with the false fire, fake fireplace, and the TV. Sometimes we're just in the in a bell tent or, or the camper i want to talk to you a lot about family travel but just you saying that makes me i mean i was always a festival person in fact you and i have spoken before when i was working for the essential festival do you remember the yeah, essential i do yeah festival remember it well yeah in brighton ago? yeah in brighton that's right I, my first few jobs were in festivals for essential and then for harvey goldsmith and we won't talk about that it was the eclipse festival do you remember i, I, went I, terribly I didn't wrong go but everyone. i did what did that what was it no eclipse or oh then no the eclipse it kind of happened it was very cloudy actually and i remember being on a hill you know we'd worked for a year on this festival and we had several rival festivals there was the lizard down at the lizard peninsula and everything was building up to this one eclipse moment which i think it was about midday on on the sunday or something like that and it was completely cloudy and i remember like being stuck between i was doing the press for the event and like trying to organize all these acts and media and everything it'd been quite complicated by that point they'd stopped paying us so but I just thought well, I'm going to do this anyway it's going to be a great experience and I do remember having this incredible moment when the sky there was no like actual eclipse but it went just very cloudy <laughs> oh no yeah. <laughs> it went even more cloudy yeah, it went well, from a light grey to a dark grey yeah. and everything did go silent and Welcome. I think after that it wasn't like the best festival experience no, no. but it was fun you know in retrospect I wanted to talk to you about family travel but before that I want to talk to you about what happened in the 90s because you went to university in Goldsmiths didn't you Mm. New Cross in London, which was, you know, it's a really trendy place now. Everyone goes, so oh, I've heard. yeah, because <laughs> I live nearby there, like okay. I live in Greenwich, and they go, and people go, oh, you live new, near New Cross, that's great. I was like, really? Is it? It was a different place back in the early 90s. It was a different place five years ago, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, yeah, New Cross, I, I was like a 18 <clears throat> year old, very kind of middle class white kid dropped into the middle of New Cross. My sister drove 
drove me up there in a, in a mini metro because my mum and dad were away. I remember, you know, literally just driving through the streets of Newcross going, wow, this is so different to the little pastoral village upbringing that I had. And I'd been to London, obviously, lo- loads of times. But, yeah, it was a, it was a total, total baptism of fire in a, in a very good way and, in, and in, in a sort of slightly worrying way. I was, I was mugged numerous times by a drug dealer who ended up befriending me, ended up taking me to the... For, well, forcing me to go to the cash point and then take him to the Wimpy to buy him a burger. It was all very, very odd and a bit scary. Driving around in unmarked police cars, you know, being told to point out this guy who I wouldn't shop in because I was too scared about having my legs chopped off or something. So it was, um, and I had to get up in front of the whole um, halls of residence and be be sort of uh, shown as an example of someone who'd been mugged and can everyone please keep it, keep an eye out for. For, and, and so yeah I mean New Cross was, was racy but actually you know those are the areas of London that I kind of miss and, and love you know Brixton Old Street when Josie opened her bar there she was like one of the youngest licensed bar holders just when the 333 and the whole Shoreditch scene were kicking off you know we, we lived in Brixton when that was a bit rough around the edges yeah and everything gets gentrified which is cool but, um, but you know I, I had some amazing experiences in those places Camberwell South London did you feel, did you, looking back, like it was obvious, and maybe I sort of felt it at the time that you were part of like a really incredible music scene, did you feel it? Did you feel the sort of zeitgeist happening as it happened? Not really. I mean, yeah, I was incredibly, you know, part of the reason I, I, I actually wanted to go to Manchester because it was just after Manchester, well, sort of during Manchester, so Happy Monday, Stone Roses, and these were all my idols, you know, Ian Brown and bears and sean Ryder, and you know i had all the flares and the, the whole manchester outfit i wanted to go to manchester didn't get in there went to london instead and and it was just when the whole rave culture jungle hadn't become drum and bass yet trance you know which is a dirty word now but the whole trance scene was really exciting and and really actually amazing music at that time and the whole chill out thing as well which i became sort of known for that was really exploding as well which became a bit of a dirty word again but at the time was was really exciting so yeah i mean me and josie we met in the first term of of the first year and we would just spend the whole rest of the time going to spiral tribe raves going to glastonbury going to gumbo raves in oxfordshire driving around in my little 2cv just living the life but it, it felt like something that was going to keep going and it has kind of kept going you know club culture's maybe gone overground and mainstream but it's also gone underground and it's still there it's it's maybe but I, I i hate people who sort of look back and go oh it's not as good as it used to be you know that that might be true in certain ways but i think in a way it's it's, it's better as well i think everyone was saying that at the time though everyone always looks back i remember being in the 90s and people would say oh you should have like in brighton for example oh you should have been here in the 80s you know <laughs> yeah. and probably in the 80s someone was saying you should have been here in the <laughs> yeah, 60s, 60s and 70s yeah, it yeah. all it has that sort of rose-colored sheen when you look back yeah i know you're good friends with well you know um, emily evis quite well now and you're you've had her on your podcast can you tell me whether you were bunking into Glastonbury then or not I bet you were I I was and I've I mean I've met and interviewed Michael many times and and Emily and apologised to them on numerous occasions publicly and in in private I mean you know it's no surprise or or um, news that lots of people did yeah I mean I, I remember giving you know Krusty's cans of cider to go be allowed to burrow under there their hole you know they dug a little tunnel before the security found them i remember vaulting over a fence as a, as a gang of guys on horses came galloping at us at full speed absolutely terrifying i'm scared of horses anyway and 
it's sort of four or five horses come out coming up this hill and we're like come on quick get over and sort of pushing Josie over and then jumping over myself and hang so, on who were the who was who's the cavalry they well they had a, they had a sort of security yeah, cavalry yeah I mean they I weren't, never saw that they weren't in the sort of um, yellow jackets and stuff but swords they were, and things yeah <laughs> yeah it was like that it was like something quite medieval but um but yeah so we did we did quite a few years of that and then then luckily I obviously started DJing there and well I just dug out a fly yesterday we were doing the Sunday best hosting the Radio 1 stage there with people like Fatboy Slim and Basement Jack so you know that that was the kind of kernel the sort of seed of where Best of All came from because we, we suddenly were allowed on the Radio 1 stage and we would take it over for the whole day we'd do the whole fancy dress thing the whole dressing up choose our own DJs and that was like oh my god this is like the best thing ever we, we've got our own stage at Glastonbury and you know that was over 20 years ago and, and it, yeah it definitely fed into the whole um the whole festival story. So you started to travel. Let's. Do, I mean, I think that festivals are part of travel. You know, particularly like going to you know Glastonbury and ones that you do generally have to travel for them. I guess it all depends on when you live. But I really think that festivals are part of travel. But in terms of travel at the time, so you start DJing. Where was it? Was it sort of naturally Ibiza? You know, those sort of places. Yeah, all the cliched, uh, stereotypical hotspots: Ibiza, Miami. Yeah, I mean, all all, o- all over the place, but. But yeah, mostly um, yeah, the states. I mean, I, I was a, I was a music journalist first of all. So alongside my DJing, which was ju- I wasn't known as a DJ then, but I was I was sort of known as a music journalist, and I was a club clubs editor for a, for a magazine. So actually, that was where I used to speak to you at Music at Essential. What was the magazine? Music magazine. Yes. Yeah. That's when I remember speaking okay. to you. Yeah. Yeah. So my f- you know it's not it's not glamorous travelling, but actually, and I'm really grateful for this. The first lot of travelling I was doing was mostly in the UK, and I was being sent out each weekend to go and cover these insane clubs, which were just kind of you know it's the era of the super clubs, so Gatecrasher, Cream, God's Kitchen, all these clubs that were like you know five six thousand kids turning up in insane outfits every week absolutely devoted to the djs you know the the dj was god paul oakenfold sasha you know seb fontaine all these guys paid tens of thousands of pounds you know every night to to do this thing and i and so i you know i was kid from the south of england in a village i'd gone to london which is exciting as it was and then suddenly i was in birmingham newcastle sheffield glasgow dublin you know and all these cities that actually i realized a lot of my mates even now in their mid-40s haven't even been to and you know to a lot of southerners the, the, the north is still a bit of a mystery and and maybe vice versa so i'm really grateful for that because probably for four or five years i was literally whizzing around the uk traveling exploring that and you know you have to do that to understand how the uk works and even now with things like brexit it all sort of feeds back into that and, and i don't mean that in any kind of pejorative way to whether you're a northerner or a southerner it's but you, you don't understand how the cultures are so different you know saturday night in newcastle everyone is dressed to the nines everyone is like really making an effort and then you get down to london everyone's like, oh, saturday night yeah whatever it's the new monday so it's a, it's a different different way of looking at stuff and then alongside that i was being sent off on really quite exciting trips to go and interview basement jacks in new york or todd terry in miami or armand van helden in ibiza or you know and, and getting paid to do it so this was like the absolute dream until i did one summer where my editor sent me um, <laughs> to Ibiza. I'm not very good at saying no, so let's just 
say that I um, went off the rails in quite a big way and uh, it was a kind of, you know, it was that sort of paradise turning into hell type thing. And I think you've got to be careful in Ibiza because it is, you know, there's a lot of... Um, a lot of temptation out there so you've got to kind of just stay on the straight and narrow so yeah I mean I just read Matt Haig's Reasons to Stay Alive have you read that I don't I, know if you know I, Matt yeah, yeah, yeah. that really fucked him up you know a whole season in Ibiza and then after that he was just you know a bit fucked up for about 10 years really yeah I don't think it lasted 10 years with me but it was definitely a good couple of years and I remember coming back to to London after a summer out there and I was just so away with the fairies I, I sort of was like didn't know what real life was really so just the whole experience was uh taught yeah it taught me a lesson and you know i think um it also taught me about about travel and about being somewhere else you know you've got to keep with it because it can easily kind of get out of um get out of hand or you you know you can find yourself in the most beautiful places in the world and not actually maybe be enjoying it like you should be so i'm not I'm, i don't mean that in a negative way because i'm always glass half full but uh, i think you know you see that with a lot of djs actually and, and mental health issues in the dance music industry particularly djs who are perceived to live this incredible amazing lifestyle and you, you know you saw it with Avicii who sadly you know killed himself because he just couldn't deal with being sent off on another mad mission around the world to all these incredible places and you end up sitting in hotel rooms on your own kind of staring at the ceiling waiting for your next big gig and then you've got this massive slump afterwards and that, that was not <laughs> not my story luckily but um, you know you, you sort of see that and so yeah I think with travel you, you've got to kind of respect it Also you're out all night as well aren't you you're out all night partying whatever that entails that is not good for you but even just being up all night your circadian rhythms are absolutely screwed up and you must have all these feelings of euphoria like you do when you're clubbing you know you don't even have to be a DJ and then you know obviously you get the come down from that so describe to me what was your what do you think has been your most wild night out probably can't really <laughs> remember them but yeah i mean a lot a lot in ibiza a lot in miami that you know all, all nighters um waking up on a beach in ibiza with my tongue sort of glued to the sand <laughs> having lost all my friends and not actually knowing where i was and having to walk back barefoot to, to a villa or something like that i mean yeah, you know, I, I'm in a I'm in a very happy place right now with four four amazing kids and Josie, who I've been with since I was 18, and so I, I don't want to paint some kind of hedonistic mad lifestyle. There were, you know, there was there was a period of of, of hedonism and mad antics. Luckily, that coincided with an amazing lot of work and and sort of travel and i'm a real workaholic i mean you know the the base of everything i do i've not sort of bummed around the world just doing nothing it's always been you know it's nearly always been on a on a, on a well a lot of it's on a work related stuff unless it's unless it's a holiday which is what is the best thing in life is to actually be able to make your passion your work do you feel lucky to have done that Oh God, so lucky! I mean, it, it, you know, it was, it was, as a result of hard work, I wasn't handed this. I, I did five or six years' work experience, pretty much unpaid, on the magazine on and off before I got a really, you know, great job there and moved up, you know, moved my way up to assistant editor and stuff like that. So, it, you know, I I worked really hard to get there, but there's been a lot of happy accidents in my life as well, and I, I'm sort of conscious of that, of of, of you know being in the right place at the right time you know the early work that i did interviewing people like fatboy slim basement jacks grieve Marder, that that sort of paid off when we started festival and i needed some headliners and i knew these guys so their agents were a bit nicer to me because i was still pretty much billy nobody and i, I needed to pull in some favors so um 
Yeah, you know, I think um, it's yeah happy accidents, but also you know hard, hard work. I've uh, been round to Norm's house to interview him as well. That was in his stage when he was still like reasonably hedonistic. I'd stopped by then, but he was still like uh, partying, and he's like, "So what do you do for fun?" I was like, "I don't know, it's all right." But you, I'm in awe of you. You mentioned the kids, and I've got two boys, uh, six and four, and you've got four boys, yeah. and you travel a lot with them. Well, from what I can see online, you've been to Bali for three months. You've been around Europe in a camper van, and traveling does change i mean i haven't stopped traveling but it really does change when you have kids how, yeah. how has it changed for you yeah i mean we we do try and travel with them and and we do try and take them to out of the way places that maybe you know are, are a bit are a bit challenging you know at the same time we're sensible we're not sort of dragging sort of six month old babies to cambodia or whatever it's it's all you know we're trying to to make sure it's kind of a, a safe trip but also exciting and you know sometimes we just go camping on the Isle of Wight sometimes you know we, we were lucky enough to go on a sort of six or seven week sabbatical to Bali and Indonesia and yeah I mean it was incredible you know eye-opening stuff for us as well as the as well as the kids so you know that that was that was pure kind of holiday that time but mo- most of the time yeah see you know i we went to been to places like the Maldives, but you know that's when I'm a DJ. I often get a DJ gig, and then we, we can go there, you know, as, as a as a family. So just discussing now about taking them back to India. They they absolutely love India. We've done kind of Rajasthan with them, and we've done Goa, and Josie's planning this mad trip from the from the Himalayas down to going and Kerala so um what in what sort of mode of vehicle well not not self-powered so yeah be train maybe planes if if we needed to skip bits but yeah I mean you know we we love doing the the trains but again you know India is is not you know not quite got the health and safety checks of um India's hard work <laughs> isn't it it really is hard work and I've only ever been there pre-kids so I cannot imagine now taking my four-year-old and six-year-old you know even walking down the road mm. you know when you've got bikes and vehicles and cows and holes and yeah. people dragging you off to a corner and trying to stick something in your ear or sell you something <laughs> I, i'm a little I bit like i have guys. to uh, yeah they're great yeah, yeah, to yeah. Like perforate your <laughs> but i'm uh, i'm nervous of it actually even though i thought even though i thought i'm this great traveler i'm actually nervous of taking the kids well, there's there. a Soho house in mumbai now so <laughs> oh, well, there you go there you no, go i mean you know seriously though that, you know india even in the last 10 years you know has become so much um you know so so much so different and um i i know there's still obviously a huge amount of um, poverty there and it's by no means changed for the majority of people but as a traveler then there's a there's a very safe way and, and enjoyable way that you can do it without we haven't got millions of pounds to go um first class or anything like that and you can still you can still do those do those experiences and actually you know you you don't really want to be in a sort of air-conditioned car cruising through India you want to be in a bus or on a train or maybe not a rickshaw but you know you, you want to be sort of um, out there and yeah taking the kids around Delhi in a in a bicycle rickshaw you know is only an hour long but you know that's an experience that they'll probably never forget it's um yeah it's, it's those kind of places I, I remember what I was going to say now and it was actually about Zoe Ball and Norman Kirk and I remember it was Zoe 
I don't know whether she actually said it and I heard it or she said it somewhere and I read it or something. But anyway, I remember her saying that she was backstage, she was heavily pregnant with Woody and she was backstage in the dance area of Glastonbury. And I've stayed backstage in the dance area of Glastonbury. Yeah, it's, it's It's hardcore. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember her saying that she was really heavily pregnant and it was at that moment that she thought, oh, hang on, you know, maybe I've got to change something a little bit. And it sounds like, you know, you guys, like all of us, have grown up and, you, you know, your parents and everything. How How is it managing the kids and the festivals and everything? Um, I mean, that's great. You know, we, we obviously, we kind of invented Camp Festival for our, for our kids, so... You know, Bestival um, was and is, a, you know, a hedonistic party, 24-hour non-stop party rave, rave up. Camp Bestival, you know, we kind of invented it for our, for our kids with our partners and, and you know, that that's the primary goal of that show is to run a festival, have a brilliant festival for everyone else, but also to enjoy ourselves. And that's the key thing is that, we, you know, we can have a few hours off here and there and we can kind of go around it. And so everything, you know, even the design of the site and everything is is based on us selfishly being able to leave our campsite, get around it in an hour, and uh, get back and, and sort of still hang out with the with the kids. And it's it great. It sounds amazing. I've never been, and I tell you why I've never been because I'm always away. And I'd really, really love to take the kids. And half of me thinks every summer I actually think I will postpone my holiday to go to this festival. And then I think no, because we've got place in Spain. I think I'm going yeah. for the whole six weeks. You do too much travelling. That's your problem. I know it is. Yeah, <laughs> I, I even I, re- I want to go so much though. I'm even sort of flying back for it. But you know, once there's four of you and flights and everything. Yeah, and, yeah. And I wouldn't want to come without them anyway. No, no, sure. I mean, you know, we we do it at the beginning of the summer holidays to try and well, I suppose capitalise on people have just finished school and they they want to have a. An, an escape and um, you know not in a not in a kind of um cynical way but we want that to be the first thing that everyone does they're like right come on school's over get, get the school uniforms in the cupboard let's you know jump in the car or the van or whatever get down to camp festival forget about technology for a while if you can you know forget about um you know your daily daily lives and you know get out in a field and and that's what you know yeah we've got some great headliners or whatever but actually it's about reconnecting with your family it's about traveling it's about camping it's about being outdoors it's about learning stuff that you might not learn anywhere else so it's um yeah i think we're having we're having a lot of fun with camp festival at the moment it's almost like we're having a renaissance with it and it's it's you know it's just such a nice way to to start the summer holidays and we get a lot of parents emailing us and calling us afterwards saying oh thanks very much now you've supported the rest of our summer holidays because nothing can live up to that so without blowing our own trumpets then a lot of people sort of see it as the pinnacle of their of their summer holidays oh yeah no it, it does sound absolutely perfect the closest i've got to it with kids is there's in a new festival it's been running for about four or five years now and i worry for its sort of safety because every year you know, we don't know whether it's coming on or not, but it's called On Blackheath. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if you've been. Yeah. It's really good, and it's On Blackheath in South East London, and it's just a day festival, but it's so set up for the kids. You know, it's got CBeebies entertainers, a bit like you guys from what yeah, I read, yeah. and it's brilliant. We go with the kids in the daytime and then come back later, kids, babysitters, and, you know, you, you've got all yeah, boxes yeah, yeah. ticked, basically, which it sounds That's great like, for you because uh, it's very, very local, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and some really good acts on as well, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Craig Charles is always my favourite because I like a little dance he is in the tent. The, the DJ of DJs. Okay, just, I'm just going to ask you a quick farewell around and I'm going to make it up because I haven't planned it, but just to get a few more travel stories. Yeah. The best party I've ever been to abroad? The best party I've ever been to, crikey. Probably one of the Daft Punk parties in, in Miami. I mean, yeah, I was lucky enough to be, you know, a music journalist in the 90s and the early 2000s and 
so yeah I, I remember pool parties with with Daft Punk I, I accidentally pushed someone in the pool and they broke their leg which was a slight slightly um, slightly unfortunate and uh, but that, yeah those sort of parties you know you go through the night you see the dawn rising over the over the Floridian Sea and um, yeah Miami always always good for that somewhere you've been doesn't a country or a city or a night out when you thought oh I really shouldn't have come here not necessarily in a bad way but in a slightly scary way probably Cuba I went to me and Josie went there a long time ago actually and, and I really want to go back before it's totally decimated by by uh, whoever decimates it but I'm um, not pointing the fingers at President Trump but yeah I um, we, we ended up going to Santiago to Cuba which is a, you know it's still a big city slightly off the beaten track and just finding ourselves down this mad sort of alleyway going to a party and drinking this green liquid that we just had absolutely no idea what it was it was it was fine and it had a good effect but um but yeah I think we felt a bit um threatened there and then actually it makes me think of Rio as well where we um Actually, we were on our way to Rio, and we were in Sao Paulo, yeah, which is notoriously, um, you know, can be a bit um, touch and go if you walk down the wrong road. And we did walk down the wrong road and suddenly found ourselves in this alley with all these shady men, and that was the closest I've felt to feeling properly um, scared. I'm, I'm sure nothing was going to happen, but... Um, yeah, you, you went to university in New Cross. You can do it. <laughs> yeah, but I'm Most still a total wimp. I couldn't, couldn't deal with <laughs> couldn't deal with a fight. The happiest place you've been, the happiest you've ever felt somewhere abroad. I mean, honestly, numerous, numerous holidays. Probably, you know, Highlands of Scotland. We love. We got married on a beach in Scotland, um, Santa Sands. You know, so we we go up there with the kids, and often it's pouring with rain, but we're sort of like beach combing and finding our tea in the rivers and locks and stuff and mussels and lobsters and stuff like that but I th- Puglia in Italy um, there's a hotel called Borgo Ignazia it kind of looks like you're in a wild west sort of spaghetti western set it's all like amazing sort of town squares within this hotel and you know it feels like you're in a yeah in a sort of film set so yeah Borgo Ignazia I, li- I like places that are very cut off because then there's less chance of having to go and do something <laughs> and um you know, because I'm really bad at sitting still as uh, it drives Josie and the kids around, around the bend. I, I, I'm not very good on a sun lounger, just kind of relaxing. So if there's things nearby where I feel I sh- should be seeing them or I'm missing out, then I'll be hiring a car or renting a bike or, come on, kids, let's go and see this medieval castle up there. And it's like, well, no, Dad, can't we just like play on the beach? And I'm gradually getting into that frame of mind of actually less is more and maybe you know sitting on a beach and just reconnecting with your family is fine you don't have to go and explore every single nook and cranny of every area so so yeah um puglia puglia or puglia is you know it's quite um remote i think it's fair to say in italy and um you know it's quite untouched but there's there's not all that many things to do once you get there so yeah that that was where i was very very relaxed and happy and one place you'd really recommend? I mean, one place where we've been lucky enough to go there twice, I think, now, and it's, it's gotten so expensive the last few years, but Rayavadi in, in Thailand, I mean, Krabi can be a bit touristy, parts of it, but this is, it's like next to one of the 
most you know it's always voted one of the most beautiful beaches in the in the world it's got this massive cave at the end which the kids find hilarious because it's full of phallic symbols so there's a I've song. been there it's the fertility cave <laughs> yeah it's yeah. the fertility cave so I think they call it the willy cave which I'm hopefully allowed to say but um but yeah so you know huge kind of phalluses about six foot tall and then tiny little ones and stuff and everything in between all set on this incredible beach and the, you know the great thing about Thailand is there's no private beaches allowed so everything's a public beach but for the first few hours of the day it's really lovely and then everyone arrives on the long tail boats or these little supermarkets well these boats turn into like floating restaurants and supermarkets and yeah it's just incredible sort of atmosphere and then everyone goes at about five o'clock and you've got the beach to yourself for a, another few hours and there's um this sort of big caves in the middle of this mountain that's right on the edge of the hotel and you can go sort of caving in there fishing snorkeling yeah it's a- absolute paradise and, and beautiful for kids so yeah rave a and crabby I, I, weirdly, I've been there and stayed at exactly the same hotel in Rayleigh Beach, the Rayavadi, and uh, yeah, it's amazing. Although I got attacked by monkeys, which was quite interesting. My, yeah, I think there are some some lively monkeys there. Brilliant. I would like to ask you my last question, and I don't know how you're going to choose this because my last question is always about music because mm. I'm a massive music fan. I'm a failed festival organiser. No, don't um, say that. <laughs> well, I never pursued it after the first sort of three or four <laughs> jobs. I wish I had. I accidentally <laughs> fell into corporate events. But anyway, if you had to choose one song that reminds you of a special or memorable time and place of travel, what would that one song be? Crikey, that is a that is a good question. Probably, um, yeah, going back to Scotland when me and Josie got married, and we we it was September, and the it had been pouring with rain for about two days, and then about half an hour before we got um, we got married on this beach called Santa Sands, really, really right the most westernmost point of, of of the British Isles or something, and um, and yeah about half an hour before we got married the the sun came out and I um, drove Josie to the beach Uh, did I drive Josie? no I drove all my mates to the beach in my old camper van Josie got driven there by my dad and uh, and we were playing a Lou Reed album Satellite of Love came on I think and it was just you know it was a bit cheesy but I was going to get married the sun came out and um, yeah we had a beautiful day with a piper playing on the top of the hill and all our friends on the sand and um, yeah, so Lou Reed's Satellite of Love. That's a really lovely imagery. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the Big Chapel cool. Podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Rob. I love that image of you heading off to marry Josie in the camper van with all your mates listening to Lou Reed. We'll be back next week with another brilliant guest. Thank you so much for listening to the Big Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the ageing process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.